The title of the sermon today is this, The Testimony God Desires. How does God want to be known? How does He want to be seen? What is the testimony God requires of His people? That's our question today. If you have your Bibles open, we're in Mark chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. The first point I want to give you today is this, the menace of notoriety. There's something about Jesus' relationship with fame that is complicated. And for the most part, he seems uncomfortable with being famous in the Gospel of Mark. Matter of fact, the passage we just read is usually cited as the first of a whole series of passages through Mark in which scholars believe there is a motif, and it's usually called the Messianic secret motif. The theme of the Messianic secret. That for some reason, Jesus doesn't want people to know who he is. He silences the demons because they know who he is. He heals people, but he tells them not to tell anybody about him. Why does he do that? Why wouldn't he want to be known? What I believe is at the heart of Mark's interpretation of Jesus is that Jesus seems concerned that fame, that notoriety, is going to somehow confuse people as to his purpose, as to his mission. You'd think that the miracles, that's what they were for. That they were to gather a crowd. Jesus was going to wow them with his power and then transform them with his word. But if that's the case then Jesus' behavior is completely perplexing because it seems that at every stage he tries to defer the fame. He seems to be frustrated with the popularity that's following him. And the question for us is why, and I think at the heart of this, there is a menace to notoriety. He becomes so famous for the miracles and the healings and the demon, the casting out of demons that he can't even go into towns anymore by the end of the story. Did you pick that up? 
He has to go and, and stay on the outskirts. And even there, people are going after him to find him. But he's lost his ability to come into the heart of cities and preach the gospel because of the fame. There's a certain menace to notoriety. And I don't know why Jesus is concerned, but I suspect that there's a line of sight here to understand. Maybe he's concerned that the notoriety itself will be a misdirection. But maybe it's fame itself that he's critiquing. Let's see if we can figure it out together. But there's a menace to notoriety, and that's our first point. And Jesus seems to want to avoid being famous. The second point is this. A misinterpretation of miracles. A misinterpretation of miracles. Now, the people were reading and interpreting the things Jesus was doing in their lives very self-centeredly. But any number of people who were dealing with sicknesses or illnesses, demon possession, suffering of any sort, deformities, of course they were coming to Jesus because they heard there was somebody out there who could ease their suffering, who could relieve them of what was bothering them. And so they didn't come to Jesus because they thought, wow, this is God in the flesh, or I love the message he's teaching. That's not why people were coming and following Jesus. They're following him because they thought they could get something from him. But the miracles for Jesus are not about the people being healed. In fact, Jesus' message is that the kingdom of God is coming near. And when Jesus does his miracles, he's meaning to show people what the kingdom of God looks like. The kingdom of God for Jesus is one in which the agents and powers of darkness cannot stand before it. They're being driven out. Everywhere Jesus goes, the demons are cast out. The, the darkness cannot stand before them. And the miracles that Jesus brings, is these are fulfillments of the prophecies of Isaiah and Micah. He's reminding the people that when the kingdom of God comes, there will be no more mourning or hurting. That the kingdom is a kingdom of transformation. That it's a kingdom of restoration. That when the kingdom of God comes, as we saw in the prophet Joel, when the kingdom of God comes, healing comes in its wings. And so Jesus heals not so much to make the present earthly life of the individual who's healed a little better. Jesus heals so that they will see what kind of kingdom is on the way. Because the truth is, the gospel of Jesus often makes lives more difficult, not easier, especially for Jesus' followers. All of them would eventually die for this kingdom. He heals to say the kingdom that's coming is one in which these ailments will be obliterated, in which the demons will be cast out, in which there will be hope and life and help and peace. And he gives us the miracles so that we know that the cost that we will have to pay to bring that kingdom into reality will be worth it. But that is not how the people were interpreting the miracles. They saw the miracles as validation of themselves as a little respite from the suffering they had to endure in life. And so they followed Jesus. But Jesus seems angry that people would come to him simply for the miracles. And so if he asks the question, what kind of a testimony does God wish us to give on his behalf? We might ask, does he want us to testify to him as a miracle worker? And I think the clear teaching of Mark is no, he does not. If he did want that, then you would imagine that he would have stayed put in Capernaum and used the popularity that was swelling around him to start a movement. And when he gets super popular after he heals Simon's mother, he goes 
out on a mountain to pray. Why? Well, we're not told what he asked God for. We have no idea what he's doing up there. But what we do see is what the fallout from that decision was. And he is so popular that when he disappears for a little while, everybody's looking for him. Right? Of course they are. More people are sick. More people are hurting. More people want healing. And Peter, leading the disciples as he does in Mark, goes to find Jesus and he says, everybody's looking for you. And what would you imagine Jesus would say? He says, we're leaving. Why does he do that? Well, it seems, and I'm with the commentators reading the Gospel of Mark who argue this, it seems that Jesus was so concerned about the notoriety he was gaining that he went and prayed to God to ask for direction for his ministry. And the response that he got from God apparently was, you need to leave. What kind of a testimony does God want from us? Whatever God is doing is about the kingdom and about the future God is trying to bring. We must be careful that we don't misinterpret Jesus' miracles. And we have to be careful of those who try to use miracles to manipulate us as Christians. So the first is this menace of notoriety. Jesus seems to not want to encourage the kind of fame that he's getting. And the notoriety is leading to a misinterpretation of Jesus' miracles. And finally and ultimately what it leads to is a maligning of Jesus himself. And this is really the heart of this passage and what I want to deal with today. Uh, I'm going to open my Bible here. If you're not there, you might want to go back to Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 29, we're told that Jesus goes and heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he heals a paralytic. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, in chapter 1, verse 40, he heals a man with leprosy. And there's a parallel between these two stories. Let me point out a few of them. When Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law, he breaks a lot of Jewish conventions to do it. First, it's the Sabbath. Remember, he was in the synagogue. He goes immediately to her house. So he heals on the Sabbath. That's against Jewish law. She gets up and she serves Jesus, which is another violation of Jewish purity laws. Women are not allowed to serve men to whom they are not married or related. So she does that. All kinds of violations of purity laws in that healing. Now, the same is true with the leper. This leprosy, we don't know what it was. What we call leprosy today didn't exist in Jesus' day in his place and time. So whatever it was, it was a skin disease. And the word that we translate leprosy could apply to almost any number of skin diseases. But they all shared one thing in common. They all made a person unclean and unable to come into the presence of God. So a person with that kind of a disease would have had, if they were in a crowd of people, would have had to have been yelling out all the time, unclean, unclean, according to Jewish law. And... Nobody was to touch him. As a matter of fact, under the law of Sinai, uncleanness is so powerful that if a clean person touches an unclean person, it's the clean person who becomes unclean. The clean person doesn't make the unclean person clean. See, uncleanness has much more power under the law of Moses than cleanness does. And so this is a man who no one should touch. No one should be in his presence. And Jesus, when he comes to Jesus for healing, Jesus touches him as he touched Peter's mother-in-law against Jewish custom. So he violates again those purity laws and he touches them. But Jesus' cleanness is of such a sort that rather than being made unclean by touching the leper, Jesus cleanses him by that touch. That's powerful. But what I want you to notice, those are parallels. So we know that these two stories are being compared in some way. That's all I'm trying to illustrate. 
But they respond, the two people respond to Jesus very differently, don't they? What's the response of Simon's mother-in-law, Simon Peter? His name was Simon. Jesus gave him the nickname Peter later, and that's why we know him by both names. But Simon's mother-in-law, when she's healed, did you notice in the text her response to Jesus? What's her response to the kingdom when she finds healing at the hands of Jesus? She serves him. She serves the kingdom. She serves Jesus. Now, the leper has quite a different response. See, Jesus gives him specific instructions. In fact, this is some of the strongest language we could imagine in Mark when it says that Jesus gave him a strong warning, my translation says. And he told him to go and present himself to the priest and to go through the purification rituals and to be declared clean which would then allow him to make a sacrifice, which would then allow him to enter back into the community of Israel that he had been shut out of. But the man misinterpreted the miracle. He didn't think of it as a sign of the kingdom. He thought of it as his healing. And when Jesus tells him specifically not to tell anybody, if he really cared about Jesus, he would have obeyed. But he did not. He went out and told anyway. And it ruins Jesus' ministry in Galilee, according to Mark anyway. It doesn't destroy it, but it impedes it, this man's disobedience. But see, he thought the best way to promote Jesus was to promote him as a healer. Because what could be more important to us than healing? But you see, the healing that the leper had received was not about his own personal vindication before God. It was a picture for Israel that something new was happening. You see, the priests could not make anybody clean. The priests could only verify whether somebody was clean or was not clean. If someone came to them with leprosy, they had no power through the law to heal them. All they could do was look at the skin, look at the listing of things that made people unclean, and say, yes, indeed, you are unclean. Leave. We don't want to see you again. That was the law. But something was happening because somebody who was unclean, which means they were shut out from the community of Israel, which meant they could not go to the temple, they could not make sacrifices, they could not be forgiven before God, they could not go to the synagogue and study the Torah, they could not be taught, they could not be educated, they had to be shut out of everything. When Jesus comes and preaches the kingdom, he touches that man who spent his life, as long as he had that disease, completely shut out. And Jesus brings him back in whole and complete. And the testimony Jesus wants of him is to go to the priests, show what God is doing, and declare that the unclean are being made clean. That's the kingdom. That's a testimony to everything Jesus was going to do. And he doesn't want the credit for it. Because for Jesus, it's not about his own glory. It's about the glory of the Father and the kingdom of God who's coming. And so he doesn't want it to be known who did it, just that God did it. But this man, he wants to give Jesus the credit. And that sounds pious. But it turns out to be demonic. Jesus comes to bring a kingdom that will transform everything we know. And that kingdom will be one filled with joy. But that kingdom is as much for God as it is for us. The scriptures tell us that God was looking to marry Israel. And we are called in the New Testament the bride 
of Christ. God is looking for something with humanity. And it's not all about us. It's also about the God who calls us. God will not be a stump at the end of the day who has spent everything he has simply to make you happy. Jesus heals so that the world might know what God intends for them. But when we misunderstand the healing, and we think that in the end, Jesus wants to be known as some sort of a uh, machine in the sky that you can just pop a coin into and blessings will pour out of it. Then we make Jesus a thing for our own consumption and not a person who's looking for our love. I think this is part of why Jesus is concerned. He has to do the miracles. He has to. Because he's driving out the demons. The powers of darkness will not stand before the kingdom of God as it comes. Because in that kingdom, what has been lost will be restored. Because people who are fallen and broken will be transformed into living images of God. Because us, spoiled, soiled, sinful, corrupt, self-centered things will be transformed into the very bride of Christ, a people made worthy by God to marry his very own son. That is good news, and the healings give us a picture of that. But if we stop thinking about these miracles as an invitation to relationship, and we start thinking about self-centeredly God having to love me enough to make my life everything I want it to be, then like those who follow Jesus in these verses, we will have provided notoriety to a man who wanted none. We will have misinterpreted his miracles self-centeredly to make it look like God is all about giving to us until we're full. And in the end, we will have maligned the God that we are supposed to testify to. Jesus says that he wants his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, that he wants them to teach them to obey everything Jesus has said. And as that gets translated into the writings of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says in several places, Galatians is the one that comes to mind, that the testimony that God wants is a transformed life. Not no sickness, not no cancer. That's coming. That's the future. Not no pain, not no loss of electricity. A transformed life. The testimony God requires is someone who will follow Jesus and live as Jesus did all the way to the end of his earthly life, willing to do the will of the Father no matter the cost to himself, who will avoid pain and suffering if that's necessary for God's mission, but will embrace it if it's not. This is the person who testifies to the love of God in the world. God does not want to be known, I don't think, as a simple miracle worker. He wants to be known as a suitor making a proposal to the people of the earth, a proposal of marriage. And that's a very different picture.